The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, buddy. We are flying blind right now. All the electronics have been destroyed in here because the board is not working. I know. I know. This is terrible. I actually don't know what our topics are this week because I couldn't find the dry erase marker for the dry erase board. It's a yep. big mess. It's Technology has confounded us. The yeah. marker has gone away. That's right. We. It's like a... That Jim Lovell monologue in Apollo 13 where all of his instruments go out and he's flying with the algae on the uh, surface of the water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. By, turned up by, the, uh, by, the, by the, his carrier in the light of the moon. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully it will guide us home. Here, here's something else that's kind of... Yeah. I wonder if that happened. I don't know. I should have looked into Jim Lovell more. Oh. Here's something else that's kind of throwing me off this week. I have, I, I'm feeling a sense of letdown from episode 100. Because we put so much work into it, we had so many contributors, we solicited all these great listener questions, we you know supported Hurricane Relief, and now, what, now it's just episode 101, back to business as usual. Well, fear not, my friend. The good news is, there's another American natural disaster in progress. Maria, from oh, Puerto Rico. Of course. So, oh. good news! Well, actually, we did make a donation to Puerto Rico as part of the... Harvey relief. You Not sent we, them. You sent them. Auto, I, I told you. Hmm. You. Oh God, I don't, I, why'd you bring this up on the show? What? I don't know. What, what? He sent a box of his of his book, like signed copies of his book, to Puerto Rico. Isn't that what we meant by support? I mean, you know, I I, I was thinking maybe food and water. Well, I mean, yeah, but. You know, I don't have a closet full of food and water to get rid of. And then I said, dude, dude, just a box. It's an island full of millions of people. And your callous response was, oh, I'm sure they've been working Xerox. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I did think the headshot was a nice touch, though. Yeah, I look good in that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we actually did. Uh, we doubled our Harvey donation for Puerto Rico relief. So not that, you know, it's going to help very little because they have you know far more damage than we could possibly support and we all need to get together and help the people of puerto rico and yeah yeah you know because they're people one so that's 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 like that's like the opening sentence yeah. right like hey let's help people yeah two if you can't get to that sentence you can be like well let's at least help american people that's right because remember puerto rico is an american territory i think people forget that american citizens yeah i think they think puerto rico is like mexico east <laughs> at least certain segments of the population seem to think that sure but then again, they think everything south of the Rio Bravo is Mexico. There, there was a poll that came out that only about half of Americans know that people from Puerto Rico are American citizens. That said, yeah, um, boy. But again, because we, you know, we, we helped people last week. We did a lot of great things, and now we're right back to business as usual. But we have—it's going to be fun. Like we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about. I'm excited to get back into the swing of things. Frankly, let's do some housekeeping real quick. Uh-huh. In fact, you've been really good at this. Do you want to kind of run people through how they can rate, review, subscribe, contact? You've been—you've been nailing this the last few weeks. I haven't even done that for like a month. Well, when that's true, you have. You've sort of, <laughs> do you want me to do it, or you want to do it? 
No, I'll do it. All right. Fine. So you just wanted to complain about it first. Got it. All right. Subscribe to the show you are currently listening to, Break the Business on uh, iTunes. Uh, rate, review, uh, subscribe, please. In that order. Yeah. Okay. Don't check out the goods first. Just review it. That's right. Five Sight star, unseen. Sight unseen. Five-star reviews, please. Four stars if you're, you know, kind of peckish. What else can they do? Oh, yes. If you have a question, <laughs> if they have a question, uh, send us an email. Breakthebusiness at gmail.com for all of your music industry slash pop culture slash um, being chased by rhino needs. I don't yeah. know. Um, we, we love getting listener questions on the show. We love to answer them. I think the show's at its best when we're answering listener questions, as opposed to just me talking about what I think is important. I like to answer what the artists think is important. You're right. I really Actually, liked episode 100 because and of that. And I've got a, a viewer question uh, right here. Guys, where can I follow you on Twitter? Great question. Leads me to my next topic. <laughs> you can follow uh, me at MetalDave85. You can follow Ryan over here at Ryan K-A-I-R. you ever going to get something jazzier or sexier? I'm, well, I'm sort of kind of pot committed to it at this point. You know, I got like 800 followers, so I kind of have to stay the course. Okay. It's a brand, man. Eh, yeah. Very difficult to spell brand. You're right. Um, I think other than that, that's about it. Oh, wait, no. You can, well, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Yeah. Stitcher still? Stitcher, yeah. Stitcher is getting us some numbers, man. Hey, Can't is SoundCloud going Stitcher. away or something? Uh, <laughs> I, I thought I, I, I know I, I saw something about it, but I didn't read it. Um, SoundCloud, we, yeah, we've talked a little bit about it on the podcast. It might have been one of the weeks you weren't here. Um, yeah, SoundCloud was on the verge of bankruptcy. Now it got some angel investor funding. It was contingent on them firing the CEO, which they really had to do because that guy was not doing a great job. And it seems like they're okay for now. So we, don't, we don't need even, to move our podcast. How is SoundCloud even making money? Advertisers. Oh. And, you know, subscriptions. Like, our podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. We pay a monthly subscription. Mm. You know, the same way that, you know, a lot of these kind of music websites. But the real question is, how can a website that has such a strong brand, that has such a household name, that has so many users, can be failing? And that's, you know, I, don't, I mean, but no, no, like, I don't need to rant on this. We've, we've done this before. But, but thankfully, yes, our podcast is still safe on SoundCloud. And, oh, we should talk about Facebook. Where can they find us on Facebook? Probably break the business. That's right. <laughs> Uh, you can also get a copy of my book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. It's available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook, author narrated, at Amazon.com. Our guest this week, Suzanne Polinsky, the rock star advocate. She, you got a taste of her last week. She was one of the folks that was nice enough to answer some listener questions for us as part of episode 100. She's great. She's a music industry consultant. She's a psychologist. She's an expert on things like self-care, time management, lots of great music career stuff. And she's going to be talking to us in the next segment. You can find out more about her and her services by visiting www.therockstaradvocate.com. Uh, don't do rockstaradvocate.com. That sends you somewhere different. <laughs> as I found out the hard way. I was ready to email her. I was like, I think your site's broken. No, I just was typing it in wrong. <laughs> um, so I want to do something different this week. Okay. So we got Music Jerk of the Week coming up a little bit later in this segment. Uh -huh. And then we, of course, have uh, the Rockstar Advocate coming up in the next segment that we do. But I want to answer a question because I think answering the questions is has been fun. We did that episode 100. It was awesome. Question and time. <laughs> That's right. We need to do some kind of imaging for that. Like, I'm a little stinger. Yeah, yeah I'm. I'm gonna isolate you just going question time, and I'm gonna build some imaging around that. Question time, jerks. Good. I'm glad that I got that in the clear. Um, 
So our friends at Musicpreneur Hub, we had Tommy Darker on a few weeks ago. What? Say that again? Musicpreneur Hub. Oh, oh. So, oh, I get, like music oh. entrepreneur. Oh, God. Uh, Tommy Darker, the CEO of that company, has been on the podcast before he was a guest, and he uh, has this site called Musicpreneur Hub, which is kind of like a Quora for musicians. And I've answered some questions on that page. And a Quora? Yeah. For musicians? That's right. God, you're so ivory tower right now. What's wrong with Quora? You don't use... I love Quora. I am addicted to Quora. I will, I'll, I'll read Quora every day. I'll, I'll look at questions that I don't even care about just because I love seeing people answer them. <laughs> I, will put, put, I will freaking put Quora in between my toes, all right? <laughs> so no one knows how into Quora I am. It's like mainline Quora, yes. Yeah. Um, it's a great website. And, and Musicpreneur Hub kind of does the same thing, although Musicpreneur Hub's... Uh, spin on Quora is instead of with Quora, you know, the masses answer your questions and just anybody, you know, right. Can answer. And every, everybody's an expert, which means nobody's an expert. What Musicpreneur Hub does is they actually curate their experts. So only certain people can answer questions. And so, you know, yes. you're getting yes. some they're, level of expertise. Yes. They're the landed gentry while Quora is just me- merely the plebiscites. That's right. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> and, Tommy said that if we want to answer some of those musicpreneur questions on our show, that he would send us some. And he sent us a cool one this week and something that I have a little bit of experience in. So I thought I could answer it. The question and something that other artists might want to look into. uh, It was from a musician who was asking for tips on how to set up a music festival. And (laughs) don't ask Ja Rule. That's right. Oh, man, you, you, you stepped on my Fire Festival punchline. I had it in here, but... Fire! Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, that would be the first step, is don't do what Fire Festival did. But it's a cool question. I do like... I think I find the idea of just artists wanting to kind of set up their own music festivals in the new music industry, that seems fun and exciting and empowering. So I like well, this question. That's what the trend is nowadays. That's, yeah, that's what everyone's doing nowadays. It's The uh, Americans are trying to get festival culture over here because it's big in Europe. If you're in Europe, mm-hmm. festivals are the way to go, and everyone kind of has known that for a long time. Over here, though, you know, it's still kind of in the ascendancy, still uh, in the birthplace. So you have new festivals popping up all the time. How long they last, who knows? But uh, definitely something worth looking into. Yeah. That was a great answer, Ryan. Oh, good. All right, next piece. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, I didn't know that like festivals were more of a thing on the other side of the pond. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, I'm new. Festivals that um, sell out as soon as tickets go on sale before the, any lineup has been announced. Hundreds of thousands of people over, you know, weekends. Absolutely insane. So we should go to Hellfest in Hell, France. That's actually the name of a music festival? Hellfest, yes. In Clizon, yeah. What do they do? Easy listening? Smooth jazz? It's easy listening to me. <laughs> I bet it is. I, I bet you actually listen to that kind of music to just relax. Like when yeah. you've had a hard day and uh, you just Behemoth, wanna... Behemoth is very relaxing. Really? Behemoth. Yeah, dude. Fucking awesome. <laughs> but if you want to do Hellfest, we can do Bloodstock in England. That, that, yes, that's true. It exists. Bloodstock. Bloodstock is called Bloodstock. Do any of these metal festivals not have horrifying names that'll give me nightmares? Uh there's Maryland Death Fest. It's like, it's like well, you can you can go to Daffodil Fest, but God, even I won't go to that one. Those people are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, continue. Okay, so, um, so I'm just going to run through some quick thoughts here because you know setting up a music festival is a giant, giant... And expensive. Expensive, and you're going to need a lot of help. But here are just some few things that you might want to think of to kind of point you in the right direction because I do like the idea of artists kind of starting their own music festivals. Um, you're going to need a way to pay for this, first of all. Um, and so you want to look into different funding sources, 
you know, it is useful to, I mean, not useful, required, run your festival through a limited liability business so you can solicit investors and loans and crowdfunding. Uh, music festivals are great for crowdfunding projects. Kickstarter has kickstarted quite a few music festivals, and it has the double effect of one, getting your festival funded, and two, it guarantees attendance at your festival because you would give your backers tickets to, to your festival in exchange for their contribution. And some countries even allow equity crowdfunding under certain circumstances, so you can sell shares in your festival to backers. That might be a cool thing to explore. But some words of caution here, and this is a product of some experience I have with festivals. Um, first and foremost, get a good lawyer, preferably multiple lawyers, to help you. It is a logistical, legal nightmare. You're going to need lawyers to set up your company, to raise money legally, manage the legal aspects. Um, liability exposure here is staggering. I mean, so many things can go wrong. You know, somebody breaks their leg, talent doesn't show up, uh, stage lights fall down, whatever it is. You, you know, don't have enough water, people get uh, heat stroke. That's right. Not enough facilities, porta potties maybe overrun, someone dies. Jaw rule runs your festival. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's exactly right. Corporate issues, contracts, insurance, permitting, alcohol laws, talent management. It can get really messy. You need lawyers to help you out. And probably the thing that you need more than even a good lawyer, and you know, we always recommend lawyers, we always recommend lawyers the most, but um, the thing that you really need to make a festival work and this isn't something that wouldn't have occurred to me until kind of doing one of these. You need somebody on your team who not only has experience putting a music festival together. Yeah, and I need those. Well, yeah, because yeah, you need, coordinators you need somebody who can show you the way. But bonus points if that person actually has experience doing festivals at that site. Because hmm. there's so many things that can kind of just go wrong. And it really does pay to know who, what guys your guy needs to talk to, to get things done. You know, if you're at a park or some kind of public venue, there's always certain people in the local government that you have to have conversations with in Greece to make something like that happen. And he's speaking out of personal experience, folks. (laughs) Come now, come now. Um, but it, it, it helps to know the people that you're supposed to talk to. And so if you have somebody on your team who's done events at that site and knows all the right people to talk to, it's going to make your life a lot easier. There's really no substitute for experience here. And third, so important, don't bite off more than you can chew. <laughs> don't be the fire festival. There's really no shame in starting small with your festivals. You know, a music festival doesn't have to look like Woodstock or... Uh, Lollapalooza, you know, you can start with just a small thing at a park with just a few musicians, get your reps, figure out kind of the best way this is supposed to look. Shoot, even consider doing an online music festival to start out. What? It's true. There are online music festivals and they're great. I don't believe you. Explain yourself. You can actually go like, yeah, there's festivals where the musicians can play from where they are and you watch them in order online. And what it does, if you're the festival organizer, is it allows you to practice talent acquisition, managing the talent, handling those payments without having to immediately worry about the other half of festival stuff, as I knock my microphone, Mm -hmm. like the permitting and the licensing and, you know, getting the space and selling water for $9 and all that other complicated stuff. And let's see you practice marketing. Yeah. Get the word out on your festival. That's absolutely you right. Need to Marketing sell and promotion. And even if you sell tickets, you're not guaranteed to make money. As certain, like Metallica put on the Orion Festival two years in a row, and they stopped doing it because it wasn't a moneymaker. 
Really? Oh, yeah. It was in Detroit and uh, I think uh, Jersey Sh- or Atlantic City area. Did it twice. Had a whole bunch of different sorts of bands, different tents and stuff for like different uh, interests and things. Like there was a car show because uh, James likes cars, like surf shop because of Kirk and skateboard park area because of Rob. And uh, a lot of people went, so tickets sold out, but wasn't it was just it was it was losing money. Couldn't do it. Um, the festival I've worked on has never turned a profit, so that actually makes perfect sense to me. So basically, don't do it. <laughs> That's right. It's, you're lighting money on fire. Well, but maybe you can make the numbers work out. That's if why you're it was doing called online the fire festival. festival. Because they were lighting money on. Yes, we finally cracked the code. Well, I'm willing to bet you can probably turn a profit on an online music festival if you don't have to worry about all those other overhead expenses and you just bring in great bands and find a way to promote them. So, but anyway, yeah, start small, get your reps, learn how to actually run these things, build your team out, and then you can start kind of making these bigger festivals. But there's no shame in starting small. Especially because yeah, music festivals can be a logistical nightmare. Yeah, don't book Central Park first off. Probably don't. What's 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 the one in Chicago? Oh, oh, Millennium? No, Millennium Park. Oh yeah, why do I? Is think that the it's one Millennium? with the bean? The bean one, the legume thing, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. I think that's Millennium Park. I yeah, could... don't try to go like you know what. Obama had a really great crowd here in two thousand eight. No, that was was that Bryant Park? No, that's not Bryant Park. No, Bryant Park's in New Grant York. Park? Grant Park. Grant Park. I don't know. We could look. We, we should be informed. There's too many parks. Here, do, do you want to filibuster while I figure out the name of the park? Because it's going to drive me crazy. I, you know, maybe there are too many parks, but it's okay because I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure there's a a program right now within the federal government to eliminate parks. It just seems like it's a true thing, doesn't it? Confirmed. Grant Park. Yeah, that's where Obama gave the giant speech in Chicago. Yes, you're going to be like, I want to outdo him with like a guy on ukulele. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a mess. What if you're that guy? Well, if I'm that guy, we'll pack it in. Well, only if you use your special Dr. Hukulele that I got you. Of course, man. All right. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, music festivals, logistical nightmare. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Find the right team. But, you know, just attend one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the ultimate. Like, there's, there's plenty of festivals out there. Why do you got to make your own? Yeah. If you really want to go to a festival so bad, just go, go to one in your area. Yeah. Because then you're taken away from those ones, you jerk. <laughs> What's your problem, guy? <laughs> Those people work hard. Now you want to start another one and like hire people away oh, and like cause competition? You jackass. All right, let's do music jerk of the week. And now it's time for Ryan's music jerk of the week. Oh, you are just the worst type of person. On the Break the Business podcast. Ceases to amaze me how you're always Mr. Cautious with copyrighted items and everything. And you have Stewie from Family Guy in Do you there. want me to not have Stewie from Family Guy in there? No, no, no. It's just you've been very, uh, you've been the freaking gatekeeper when it comes to making sure nothing else <laughs> passes, gets through. But yet, you know, 20th Century Fox, you're okay with uh, taking their stuff. Well, you know what? Now you got me nervous. Now, fine. No more Stewie. He's gone now. I hope you're happy. I am. Yeah. Good. You big, feel like a big man now? Yeah, he's gone. So now it's just going to be me talking. That's what the people want. Good. Our music jerk of the week, YouTube. YouTube has already kind of been on the jerk list ever since April when they changed their monetization rules for creators saying that you cannot monetize on YouTube anymore unless you join their partner program. In other words, you can't make any money from video views unless you're one of their YouTube partners, which means you have to go through their approval process and have at least 10,000 views. 
And it's already hard enough to make money on the YouTube pro platform as it is. Um, a study came out that says that uh, monetization on YouTube, you make about 0. $0.006 per view, which means to make about $1,500, you would need 2.5 million views. And, you know, most people can't do that. <laughs> Um, but it was still a manageable situation for small-time creators on YouTube because they would find other creative ways to monetize, including musicians on YouTube who could, uh, what they would do is you could still put external links at the end card of the YouTube videos mm -hmm. uh, to your Patreon page, to your Kickstarter pages, to your Bandcamp, things like that. So you can still kind of use your videos as a way to indirectly make money, even if you, even if it's way too hard to make actual money, you know, from your actual views. But no more, unfortunately. Digital Music News is now reporting that YouTube has changed its policy to say that YouTubers cannot put external links at the end of their videos anymore without joining the same partner program, which means you can't link to your Patreon page or any alternative monetization platforms unless you have 10,000 total views and YouTube has approved you for the partner program. You, yeah. YouTube says that they're doing this so that they can better assess a channel's validity before the creator posts external links. Patreon CEO Jack Conte, friend of the podcast, has called the move by YouTube, quote, hurtful for creators. Yeah, they're big jerks. Um, so right now, if you're if you're a creator on YouTube, if you're an artist and you've discovered this and you're mad, really your best alternative right now is you can still put the links to your pages in the video description. I was going to ask, right? That's still there, right? Right, but what many creators have said is that there's really no substitute to the link being right in the viewer's face at the end of the video, like when they're like, man, that's so great. Now all I have to do is click this. Now you have to dig through the video description yeah, right. and it's taking money out of people's pockets. Mm. It it's uh it's really, really stinky. And let me ask you this. Like, this is just, I'm just, I might, I, this might sound really stupid coming out of my mouth. And so if, if it sounds stupid, let me know. But why is a YouTube view not the same as like when somebody watches a TV show. I mean, why is it that when a TV show can get a million people watching and watching its commercials, advertisers are willing to pay that show so much more than they are willing to pay a person who watches ads on YouTube? Like, isn't an eyeball should be an eyeball? Why are advertisers paying TV shows more than YouTube creators? I mean, think am I missing they, something? They realize. I don't know about you. I don't pay attention to ads on the internet. I either wait for that skip button to show, or I kind of tune it out. But do you pay for? Do you pay attention to commercials on TV? But I don't, well, when it's not a DVR and I can't fast forward, I guess you're just there sitting and watching it, maybe because you've been used to it for years. But I don't know. To me, I don't know. Maybe it's just like they feel like the attention span of the video viewer on YouTube is less than that of the television viewer who is sitting in home maybe or something and just watching it, not getting up and walking away. I mean, maybe, but I mean, you're talking about quite a multiple here. Like, yeah, I mean, how much are you guessing that like a TV show that gets two and a half million views, you know, gets from its advertisers? I'm guessing hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Whereas that same person gets 1500 bucks, that same program would get 1500 bucks on YouTube. I'm sure there is a difference in attention, but is it that stark of a difference? And you also have to consider the age of the audience. Like, I'm 32. I just turned 32 years old. And I'm kind of on the older end of the millennial spectrum like you. I haven't watched a TV commercial outside of, like, a sporting event where it's live in years. 
And I'm guessing that there are some young people out there who've never watched TV commercials on actual TV. The only place they're seeing any form of advertising is on the internet. So if you are an advertiser that wants to reach young people, people in their wow. you know, late teens and 20s, it's going to be on YouTube videos. That's terrible. So there's an entire generation of kids that don't know they can save some money with insurance with the general. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, yes, they, they don't know that the... You know, if you if you have a settlement and you need cash now, you can call JG Wentworth eight seven seven cash now. Yeah, <laughs> what what a what a sad uh, you know unfortunate generation. <laughs> it's terrible. Remember Florida like, No Fault says yes back in the nineties. I remember save a lot of money, Florida No Fault. Remember, it was like Florida No Fault says yes. You don't remember that? Wow. I mean, kind of, but like, I mean, people outside of Florida aren't going to know what we're talking about. Or for sale by owner. Thanks, by owner. Yeah. Was was thanks by owner a national thing, or was that just here in Florida? I don't know. Okay, but pe- people it, over 30 email us. Do you remember thanks by owner from your old commercials growing up? Because it, I remember thinking when I was a kid, oh, by owner is a company. Right. But no, it's like by owner. Yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, So the this owner. jackass should be thinking himself. <laughs> Exactly right. Um, Maybe it's going to be something that changes over time, but I think advertisers have to sort of be trained to the idea that an eyeball is an eyeball and you, you should be paying YouTube and YouTube creators more money for these ads because if you want to reach young people with your products, this is the only place that they're consuming ads. They're not watching them on television anymore. Um, And so... These things have to change. And YouTube, stop being such a jerk to creators, huh? Like, let people monetize. They are the lifeblood of your product. And there are plenty of YouTube people out there who have very niche Patreon communities, but don't get 10,000 views because, again, it's a niche community, and you're really drowning those people out. Yeah. Basically, Ryan saying, YouTube, you boob. Rockstar Advocate coming up next on the Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. She is a music industry consultant and author who writes and speaks on the subjects of self-care, time management, branding, touring, and more. You can find out more about her services and her many artist development resources by visiting www.therockstaradvocate.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Suzanne Polinsky, the Rockstar Advocate, is here on the Break the Business podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. I'm excited to have you on, but first things first, what do I call you? Is it Suzanne, <laughs> the rock star advocate, Ms. Advocate? Where are we going with this? <laughs> Most people just call me Suze. Suze. I like that. Oh, it's, it sounds like sort of a my friends call me Suze sort of thing. Can I? Exactly. I love it. All right. I'm going to just kind of be your friend then. I'm going to just, <laughs> I'm just going to go right with the Suze. I like it. Um, for the folks who don't know a lot about you, you're a music industry consultant, and frankly, you must be a pretty dang good one because I've had multiple listeners request or 
perhaps demand that I have you on the show to interview you. So uh, <laughs> here we go. Um, but you do, you do a lot of work with artists at all career levels. You help them get organized. You help them get their focus in the right place. You get their careers moving forward. But with you, I want to start at the beginning. Because your journey to your current stage in life seems like a pretty interesting one. You've worked for labels. You have a psychology master's degree. <laughs> can can yes. you walk us through some of the big highlights in your career journey that got you to where you are today as the rock star advocate? Oh, goodness. So, yes, I've had many different jobs, um, all while still, you know, keeping my foot in the music industry. Um, so I started off at uh, Drexel University. I got my undergrad in music business. We were the first graduating class for that particular uh, major. So we got to shape a lot of uh, what that looked like, and that was a lot of fun. Um, we also started Mad Dragon Records, a record label under Drexel that still runs today. And yes, I started off with the major labels, but then I left to go be a paralegal um, at a law firm because I thought I wanted to pursue copyright law. And um, I did that for about five years, and it was it wasn't even in music. It was actually um, uh, mainly trip and fall uh, situations. But I learned a lot about writing contracts and a lot about um, what to do and not do when when getting involved in contracts. So that was a really great education. And I had a side business at the time. I was um, a consultant where I wrote bios and EPKs and did social media marketing plans and all of that stuff. But I hated it. I didn't really enjoy it. And so whenever I come to a standstill, I always look towards education. I always feel like you don't know what you don't know until you know it. So <laughs> I went back to school and got my master's in psychology because that really interests me. I have to know what motivates people to do the things that they do. And um, once I was there, I realized I started putting the pieces together and found that this is how I could help artists, that I learned a lot about self-care um, and I learned a lot about, um, again, what in marketing, kind of a deeper level of psychology of what gets people to invest in you and what gets people to really want to support you. And so I thought I could help musicians that way. And um, about three years ago, I started the Rockstar Advocate and it's kind of been awesome since then. <laughs> yeah. I almost feel like you have two master's degrees only because I feel like any career in the music industry gives you a strong background in abnormal psychology. We can, Oh, 100%. <laughs> but, um, I really enjoy the rockstar advocate resources. One of the things you write and speak a lot about, like you just discussed is the subject of time management. We've been talking about it a lot the last few episodes, because I think all musicians, regardless of your genre, regardless of kind of how you're approaching success, we all want more hours in the day. And back on episode 99 of our podcast, we spoke with Cheryl B. Engelhardt, who's a big fan of yours, by the way. I'm and, a big fan of hers. We're, we're besties in this, oh, this whole industry. Yeah, delightful. she's my girl. Well, there you go. Well, your girl <laughs> spoke a lot about her own thoughts on time management. And she talked about how every Sunday she sets her calendar at the beginning of the week and sets clear goals for how she wants to accomplish each day, which I thought was a really cool kind of tip. And I figure now that I got another time management expert on here, what are some tips that you have for artists and how they can manage their time better? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love that episode with Cheryl and she gave some really great tips. Um, I think what I like to do personally is to time block. So while I also do every week, usually on a Sunday or sometimes it's the Friday before, 
I look at my week and I, I see what do I, I want to accomplish. But what I like at the start of every month is to try to time block. So for instance, let's say you've got certain things like Cheryl, for instance, she's a composer, but she's also a consultant and a coach. And, and she also writes her own music and, um, does many different things and get, you know, gives lessons to other people. So, you know, you have all those different blocks of time and within those blocks of time, you want to accomplish different things. So what I'm a big proponent of is monotasking, which is the opposite of multitasking because, um, science tells us that multitasking is impossible. Um, and while some moms out there, I'm sure are able to do it because they're superheroes. Um, (laughs) when it really comes down to it, if one of the tasks is not automated and not on autopilot, like say making dinner or something like that. Um, the other task you're doing is going to suffer. Um, so you can't really, our brains aren't built to put our focuses in more than one thing at a time. So, um, with monotasking, the way that this works is let's say I take my Monday and I say, okay, I'm going to have two hours in the, in the early part of the day. And that's going to be for business development. And then I'm going to have three hours in the afternoon and that's going to be for clients and then two hours at night. And that's going to be dedicated to, um, you know, working on this project that I'm trying to, you know, whatever project I'm currently working on. So then each week when I go to put my tasks in, it just becomes a very easy drag and drop where I know, okay, well, what do I need to develop in my business right now? Maybe I'm working on my money mindset. Okay. I'm going to dedicate the first two hours of that Monday to money mindset. So the task can change, the focus can change, but that's that time that I've given to business development so that I know every week I've got time set aside for that. And what that does is when things start to feel less urgent, right? We walk around with like our shoulders up to our ears and we're all tense all the time and an email comes in and we drop what we're doing to get to the email. And really we do that because we're afraid that we're going to forget it or that there won't be time for it. And so when you time block, if somebody emails me, if a client emails me and it's Friday and I've already done my client work for that day, they know, okay, I'm going to hit you back on Monday during my client hours. So by building those boundaries, you've lessened the urgency. I know that I don't have to get to it right now because I know that there's time built in on the, on that next day. Well, in the, in that vein of building boundaries, because I have... I've I've read a lot of this same these same kind of the science and the articles about how people can't multitask. You're absolutely right. But I feel like particularly in the last few years, it's become harder and harder for all of us to not multitask because right. you know, the temptations to just check your Facebook, check your Twitter, check your email. Like there's so many more distractions than there were for an indie artist even 10 or 5 years ago. What do you do in your kind of work to just keep yourself focused and to just shut everything else out while you're working on one task? Sure. I mean, I definitely fall victim to it tons of times. I mean, I, I do catch myself going like, wait, what did I come on? You know, I'll go on Facebook to get a specific piece of information and then 10 minutes will go by and I'll be like, wait a minute, what did I come on Facebook for? (laughs) Um, so, you know, it stinks because a lot of my business is on social media. So, you know, that can get really, and just like many artists out there that can get very, um, tricky. But what I do is what helps with these time blocks is that I also block out time each day to do anything social media related. 
So if it's not in that time block, I do my best then to shut off my phone or to shut off notifications. Um, I use apps like the forest app, which will like, you can grow a tree until you check one of your social media pages. And then if you check them, the tree dies and you've <laughs> killed the tree and you have to live with the guilt. So, um, <laughs> so I use apps like that to try to help me and remind me that I can't, um, or that I, I shouldn't be checking those pages. Um, so yeah, just working on those daily habits. Um, and I always have my, my task list for the day, like either taped to my computer screen or right next to me on my computer. And I, I have a very, um, like a very specific area where I do my work. So it kind of, when you can fix your environment and fix your schedule around what you're doing, it's easier to stay, you know, focused on the task. And that can get tricky if you're a musician on tour or, you know, working multiple jobs that can definitely get tricky, but there are ways to do it. And, and if you can, can control your environment, um, that can definitely help. Well, you, you hit the nail right on the head. A lot of our listeners, they're not just trying to balance a music career. They're trying to balance a music career and often another day job and perhaps school. And so when you talk about time blocking, those other things sort of have to be accounted for too. And on your website, therockstaradvocate.com, you actually offer a Rockstar Life Planner book that sort of helps musicians manage their time and their schedule. It looks really cool, really well-designed. Can you tell the listeners a bit about what they can expect from that book and how it can sort of allow you to keep all these balls in the air and manage your time? Absolutely. Um, so the Rockstar Life Planner came about about this time last year, and we're actually getting ready to debut our 2000, um, 2018 planner shortly. Um, this book was mainly, I had clients that were asking for me to create templates for them to um, make better spreadsheets for them to organize their time. I was holding accountability sessions for each of them and I would create these templates. And then I realized I'm also somebody that likes to write things down. The, the Rockstar Life Planner, there is a digital copy available, um, but I don't really promote that one as much because, again, studies have shown that it sticks in our brain more and our goals have a better chance of being achieved when we actually put pen to paper um, or pencil to paper if it makes people feel better. Um, and so I created an actual book because the planners I use didn't have anything in there for, you know, tracking social media, um, seeing, you know, which every week I like to go back and say, okay, how many new followers did I get on Facebook versus Instagram versus Twitter? Um, you know, am I doing something right on one channel that maybe I need to improve on, on another channel? Um, figuring out, you know, networking, who do I want to contact and connect with this week? So I've put in a space for that. And also there's never, especially in the music industry, we never address self-care. And so each week in the book, there's a prompt to be like, what am I going to do for self-care this week? And when am I going to schedule it? Um, because it really is important. And, you know, I was the queen of multitasking, the queen of working 15, 16, 17 hour days, um, going on two to three hours of sleep and telling everybody I could do it all. Um, and then I, became sick and I got Lyme disease. And it was really at that point, I also hired a business coach and I had to learn how to trust that slowing down got you there faster. And it really truly does. And so when I created this book, I put in weekly prompts that I use each and every week to slow down, 
to reevaluate what's working and what's not. And that's how you build a business. You, you, you make decisions, but you constantly reassess them. And so that's what you can expect in the life star and in the uh, rock star life planner. And I think it's great that you brought up self care and really time management and self care sort of feed into each other. And I, I would say, you know, lapses in taking care of yourself can often be a symptom of poor time management. So it's a nice little transition for us here, because this is something you write and speak a lot about. And it's something that we care a lot about on this podcast, because when you're trying to run an indie music career and possibly also trying to have a second job and, you know, run the rest of your life, it's inevitable that you're going to you know, run into situations where you're not taking care of yourself as well as you should. In your experience, are you finding that musicians are taking care of themselves well enough? Is this a group that tends to be at higher risk for psychological issues and things like that? Um, I don't think it that they're higher risk for um, psychological issues. They're at a much higher risk for self-medicating. Um, where I, when I started the Rockstar Advocate, I started promoting myself as a therapist, right? Cause I had my master's legally. I was allowed to open up shop as a therapist and counsel people. Um, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't getting anybody, even former clients that I had as a consultant. Um, they were like, Oh, thanks. But no, nah, like I'm good. Even though I knew these people very well and I knew they're not good. They're anxious all the time. They're stressed out. They're not sleeping. You know, um, people that I knew couldn't get on stage without having a few drinks beforehand. And, um, you know, it's fine to go, you know, have that release and go enjoy yourself. But when you can't do something without something else to, you know, help you out, that's, that's a red flag. And so I realized people didn't want to hear therapy. So I use the term mindset coach. Um, but it, we are in an industry that number one, sleep shames, which is really awful. So, you know, I can't count how many networking things I went to from 18 years old to present day where I still hear people say, oh, I got, you know, two hours of sleep. And then somebody says, well, I only got an hour and a half. And they said, well, I got two hours of sleep, but it wasn't solid two hours. So it's basically like no sleep. (laughs) And then they have like a competition about it. And now I try to make a concerted effort. If I hear somebody say, oh, I had two hours of sleep, I say, I'm so sorry. I got eight hours. Like if you'd like any tips you know, I'll be more than happy to give them to you because we shame people into thinking that if you slept, you want it less. And so everybody in this industry, I feel burns the midnight oil. Um, you know, instead of talking it out, just maybe grabs a drink or, or grabs whatever they grab to handle the situations. Post tour depression is a huge thing that when you come off on tour, transitioning back into a life with other people that don't understand the business and don't know what you've just been through. And you often have to find a new apartment or find a new job. And it's, um, it's a very transient lifestyle and it can feel very untethered. And so to answer your question, a very long winded, uh, answer is that I, yes, I do feel this industry kind of sets you up to fail in a lot of ways. And without a good support system, it can be very hard to get past that. Well, in terms of getting past that, I want to kind of unpack this this term self-care because mm-hmm. it sounds to me, and again, you're the psychologist here, that it can encompass many different things. You talked about getting enough sleep. You talked about, you know, just 
making, you know, slowing down your work, not trying to put, you know, put as many hours in the day. You talked about avoiding, you know, substances and you're not drinking to excess and things like that. What are some other things that we can kind of fit under this self-care umbrella, you know, little things and big things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anything from exercise to spending time with friends and family, people that make us feel good. I mean, a lot of people think self-care is just, oh, naps, you know, like, oh, I have to take a nap today for self-care. But it's reading, you know, it's giving whatever makes you feel good. You know, people get so caught up and they say, well, my music makes me feel good, so I'm just going to dedicate my entire life to it. Right, but if you don't stop to live life, what are you going to write about? So, you know, whatever it is, whether it's, like I said, going out with friends and or planning a dinner that week or doing date night, um, giving yourself time to just watch a movie. Don't Netflix for eight hours at a time, but but watch one movie and and have a good meal. And, um, you know, whatever that is, it's just making time to say that you matter. It really self-care is the oxygen mask principle. So if you've ever been on a plane, it's when they say to you, if the oxygen mask drop down, put one on yourself before you help somebody else. So that to me just helps all excuses go out the window because if you say, well, I have kids, they need me, or I have this career, it needs me, or I have people that depend on me. Okay, great. That's even more of a reason to ensure that every day you're doing something for you because if you deplete your energy, what good are you to other people? It would be great in this industry if we could sort of bring about the mindset amongst everybody that downtime is as much a part of achieving your goals as actually actively achieving your goals, that it's all working toward the same purpose. And if you don't get enough downtime, it's ultimately going to adversely affect your ability to achieve your goals. It would certainly make me feel less guilty about watching Netflix. It's like, oh, this is (laughs) self-care. I mean, I think even more so in this industry, it's more important than others because it's such a creative industry that, you know, you it's, it's very depleting, you know, somebody that maybe works with numbers all day long and they crunch the numbers and that's what it is. And that's the end of it. Um, but when you're pouring your heart out into your music or you're a manager and you're putting it all out there for the sake of someone else's music, it's very emotionally draining. So, you know, and we do work longer hours than a lot of other people. So to expect that you don't need the same, if not more time for yourself after that is kind of, bonkers to me. <laughs> and and I imagine the additional challenge for musicians is you are also working when everybody else is having a good time. Right. And so like you, you know, most people are like, oh, you know what I do to relax? I go out on Friday night. Well, it's like, well that's great. I work on Friday night and right. Saturday night. <laughs> but all, all the more reason to, you know, find all your opportunities to self-care wherever they are. And I imagine most of the people after listening to you now and just I mean, I feel soothed listening to you. I, <laughs> and I, I think a lot of people are got to be interested in the consulting services you offer at therockstaradvocate.com. And I bet there are even some people out there who are curious as to what a consultant does for musicians. Can you talk a little bit about that? And maybe talk about, is there a particular career stage that a musician should be at where a consultant would be most valuable for them? Is, is this something that anybody can avail themselves of and have good results, or do you have to be further along in your career? Where, when can a consultant be most effective? Yeah, sure. Um, well, on my website, therockstaradvocate.com, you'll, you'll see a big, big old picture that you can click on for a quiz. So you can um, take that quiz. It's nine quick questions, and that will kind of tell you where you are in your career and then funnel you to the right things. Um, it's never too early to ask for help. That is for certain. 
Um, but it also depends on the budget and the type of work that you need. I mean, I've had newbies in the industry come to me and they've, they've got money, but there's nothing for me to really work with on them. So, you know, I, I tell them, well, take a look at my eBooks or the rockstar life planner or some of my video courses, because, you know, you need to, I can't just come in, even if you have the money, if there's nothing really to manage yet, it's just like a manager or a booking agent where I say to people, do what you can on your own first and, and read up on things and educate yourself. And then when it becomes too much for you to manage or you're clearly in the dark about something, then that's where you go to seek help and figure out where that help is. My help comes in when you're just not getting anything done. You're, you're, you cannot manage your time at all. You feel completely overwhelmed with what's on your plate, whether it's with your career or your personal life or both. Um, and if you don't have a budget for it, I have a group program, which is very extremely affordable. And, you know, you get access to me um, along with a, a group of other musicians. And, you know, we can work that way. Like I said, I have video courses and then I do have one on one sessions. I also have pay what you can calls. So for 30 minutes, you pay what you can and you can I call them pick my brain calls um, so that you can just get some answers to that that will get you moving in the right direction. So you know, whether it's me or somebody else, it's never too early to ask for help, but don't throw your whole life's investment into, you know, getting minute by minute, you know, retaining somebody around the clock just because you're scared to try it yourself. Um, really wait to that point where you're just like, no, there's enough movement happening here where somebody else needs to step in. That's fabulous. I appreciate your candor and your insight there. For those of those of you who want to reach out to Susan, talk to her, you can find her at Rockstar Advo, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And of course, check out therockstaradvocate.com. And if you go to therockstaradvocate.com slash planner, you can uh, check out that fantastic planner she's offering. Quick pro tip, don't type in rockstaradvocate.com as I did in preparation for this interview. It takes you to some weird dog thing. Uh, make sure you get the V in front of there. Uh, uh, Suze, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Before we let you go, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Absolutely. Um, like I said, it really just all comes down to mindset. You have to, have to, have to, have to see yourself as a business owner. If you know, even if you hire somebody else to carry out a certain thing for you, make sure you understand at least the basics of what it entails because the buck stops with you and you have to um, step into that role as a business owner if you want to make a, a real career in this industry. Hell yes. Be at the top of your pyramid. The rock star advocate, everybody, Suzanne Polinsky. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. This was great. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Suzanne Polinsky, the rock star advocate, for joining us in the previous segment. You can find out more about her service and her many fantastic artist development resources by visiting www.therockstaradvocate.com. All right. Yeah. She's terrific. 
Um, I self-care and time management, I think, are, are topics that we have spent a criminally low amount of time talking about in previous episodes. And managing your time and managing yourself are probably two of the most important things artists should be doing. So I'm glad we finally yeah. brought some exposure to I those mean, topics. Every hour is precious, so don't waste it on frivolous pursuits or means of entertainment. You know, if you've got like an hour-long break or whatever, you know, choose carefully how you choose to spend it, maybe what you're listening to. You know, you don't need foolishness in your life. You got a goal, okay? You don't need a couple of idiots just ruining that. That's right. You know, really, really career-focused stuff, you know, be serious. So, like, you know, if, if, if a podcast just starts talking about completely frivolous things that are not related to your music career at all... Oh, avoid and, it like the plague and like weird voices. Yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. So on an unrelated note, live from the Brown Derby in Hollywood and Vine in sunny and beautiful Hollywood, California. It's Dan's Movie Minute. <laughs> Come on in while we discuss motion pictures, stars, and all the goings on around town. All right, nice to be here now in the uh, the new century, Mark. Coming in episode 101. That's right, movie Dave. Good to That's see you. Right. Yes, we've gone from 20th Century Fox to 21st Century Fox. <laughs> well, people can still make room for you, movie Dave. Yeah, I love things, your voice. Some things haven't really changed, though, since uh, the heyday here in the 40s, Ryan. You know, some things, you know, like, for, for instance, I think in an all serious note, people should be donating to help the people of, the people of Puerto Rico. Yeah. It's a worthy cause, Ryan. Sure, they're, they're sure. people in need, American citizens in need. And this is the United States of America. And when our fellow citizens are in danger and need help, we should rush to their assistance. That's a really, that's a great message, Movie Dave. I'm glad that you took some time out of your movie segment to, to shine some light to that. Great. Yes. And, you know, I've, I've dug up an old recording here from the 40s that uh, I think, you know, we should, we should play. And I think... This gentleman here, he's a relative of a man uh, who's been in the news these days. I think maybe like a great-grandfather something. Anyway, uh, he's the sort of example you shouldn't follow. Ryan, do you mind hitting play on that? Wait, what? Just hit the, just pretend like you're hitting play, goddammit, and go with, go with the flow. You know, Cary Grant never questioned things, Ryan. This is terrible. I can see why you wouldn't last at RKO Pictures. All right, pictures. I got it right here. Here we go. Okay, go. Very good. He hit play just like I told him. And now the thing is playing. Okay, everybody. I just want you to know the people of France, they're asking us for help. Okay? They shouldn't have been there so close to Germany. Okay? That is their problem. Maybe if they're closer to China, they wouldn't have to deal with the Germans. Although, gotta say, some very fine people in the mix. We don't know. Two sides story. We can't, you know, who knows? Maybe the Eiffel Tower was airlifted into Berlin. We don't know. <laughs> These are things we've got to find. Okay? People of Krakatoa, move away from the volcano. <laughs> okay, maybe... Also, because you're so close to China, they're, uh, they're doing things, trying to make things hard. Okay? But uh, me and Henry Ford and Joe Kennedy, we got a lot of great ideas together. We're talking around our secret society circle. Okay? And uh, I, got, I got great news. I got a grandson on the way. He's going to do great things. Great. Huge. <laughs> Huge things. But in conclusion, okay, if you're in trouble, that's your own goddamn fault. Okay, goodbye. This, this interview is over. 
Yeah, we dug that up from the uh, Columbia Pictures vault. Wow. I, I mean, there's a family legacy there for sure. They've definitely been staying true to their ideals for generations. Yes. Wow. But Ryan now, you know... <laughs> Ryan. Yeah. The Terminator. Yeah? Terminator? Yeah, it's okay. Arnold Right. This is a movie franchise which will be rebooted again. Re- didn't Aren't we in the middle of a reboot? <laughs> well, actually, James Cameron is coming back to the franchise, which he helped create oh so long ago, along with the Deadpool director Tim Miller. Oh, I like that. Yes, they're like going to... lot. They've got the rights back again, and their plan is to recreate a, uh, a trilogy of Terminator movies with Schwarzenegger and even Linda Hamilton. Ooh. Yes. Okay, all right, all right. And uh, when I questioned about it by the Hollywood Reporter... James Cameron had this to say about the film. This is a continuation of the story from Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. And we're pretending the other films were a bad dream. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yes, or an alternate timeline, which is permissible in our multiverse. This is really driven more by Tim than anybody. Yep. But anyway, they want to revamp and reinvent it for the 21st century. And then the interview asked, the conflict between technology and humanity is a theme in a lot of Jim's movies. Does technology scare you, Jim? Technology has always scared me, and it's always seduced me. (laughs) It's a great James Cameron impression. People ask me, will the machines ever win against humanity? And I say, look around in any airport or restaurant and see how many people are on their phones. The machines have already won. (laughs) So he's working on a... Avatar trilogy oh, alongside no. the... There's four Avatar sequels, Ryan. Uh, ooh. There's four Avatar sequels. There's going to be seven Terminator films. <laughs> wow. Now, my hope, my uh, my fine feathered friend, would be that in this, ne- in this first Terminator movie, we have a shot at the end where we reveal a new Terminator's being built, right? Right. And the sort of the, the mist clears in this factory by Skynet... Or is it Cyberdyne? Cyberdyne Systems is the actual physical product. Yeah. And we see it's Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack from Titanic. <laughs> That's right. The Terminator universe takes place in the Titanic universe. <laughs> Which really actually does happen if you think about it. Because it starts in 1980s Los Angeles. And of course the Titanic sank in 1912 in New York Harbor. Not in New York Harbor. For going all the way to New York. That's right. <laughs> I would love a mashup between... The Terminator and Titanic universe. Frankly, we've all been clamoring for this for years. You know, I'm glad that finally James Cameron has listened to the public on yes. this one. And when you see what's powering Terminator Jack, whatever his name is. What was his last name? Jack Dawson. Jack Dawson. There we go. It's not Jack Reacher. No, definitely not Jack Reacher. When Although, you see if you, if, t- can we put him in that movie, too? Because now we really got something. Well, I'm sure the Scientologists would love to get their hands on that. <laughs> we see what's powering Terminator Jack Dawson is none other than the heart of the ocean. The diamond. Oh, it all comes back around. Yes. What a twist. Now, we're thinking we may have some issues with the Marvel and Disney people because something sort of in the middle of the chest glowing, power, and it kind of seems like Iron Man a little, little bit. A little bit, yeah. But then we, maybe we'll find out that Iron Man is part of this universe as well. It seems like a natural progression to the story, for sure. Yes. <laughs> I'm more excited for your movie than anything James Cameron is actually making. I want to watch that so bad. Maybe we can get Billy Zane to come back and be a bad guy somehow. Who knows? And, like, the only thing that can stop him is this weapon that they've codenamed the Iceberg. 
Oh, boy. This. No, yeah. This is really great writing happening right now, folks. I'm telling you. We're workshopping like madmen here. <laughs> oh, that's. Oh, my God. That's exciting. And I like the idea of. I mean, obviously, if it's a Terminator movie, I'd rather James Cameron be the one directing it. But if he's going to take more of an executive producer role, but then you got the Deadpool director directing it, I feel like I can trust him. He's good. That Deadpool movie is still one of my favorite superhero movies. So I feel like that team can work. And under normal circumstances, I would not want the Terminator franchise to come back. But for those guys, bring it back. And also, about Linda Hamilton uh, coming back, he said... You know, asking whether it was nervous to have her coming back or asking her. It's like, I was. It took me a week just to get up the nerve. No, that's not true. Linda and I have a great relationship. We've stayed friends through thick and thin of it all. And she is the mother of my eldest daughter. Oh, yeah, there's that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, I found that kind of funny. The man thought, oh, yeah, the daughter over here, that's her mother. That's also a good friend, too. Yeah, why not? I mean, we've been really, really good friends. Not so much to put her into any of the other really amazing movies I've made since Terminator, but, yeah, she can play Connor again. So anyway, that's the movie news here for Terminator. So we can, so Cameron's, we can expect seven films from the Cameron workshop over the course of who knows how long. <laughs> Avatar, Terminator, who knows what else this guy's going to do. <laughs> Very cool. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, are we bringing in the next one, or yeah, more on this? What are we doing? Oh yeah, but I'm done. I gotta head down down to uh, the uh, to the Brown Derby to get myself a nice deli sandwich for lunch. I'll see you later, Ryan. All right, thank you very very much, Movie Dave. You're always welcome here. We love getting that movie news from you, and we love the way you say movie. That's probably my favorite thing about that whole segment. And. Okay, looking at the list on our board, which is actually not there because we haven't written anything down because we can't find our dry erase marker for our board. Right. Uh, this is next. All right. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey, Canada Dave. It's good to see you again, our friend oh, from the north. It's good to see you too, eh? Wow, boy, you, you're on 101 episodes. That's can, pretty cool. Can you believe it? My yeah, goodness. Uh, 101. A temperature heretofore never seen in Canada. Nor, nor shall we. And well, I, maybe with climate change. And I feel like you've appeared in about 106 of them, so... <laughs> That's funny, eh? Because it somehow, uh, you know, sets forth a point that I've appeared in more episodes than there are episodes. Which says that my saturation on the show is such that maybe I should dial it back, eh? <laughs> We should, uh, listeners, what do you think? More candidate or less candidate? Should I, Email us, breakthebusinessatgmail.com. Yeah. Should I spe- Should I just like go home and spend more time with the wolves? Oh, no. Actually, we don't want that, do we? We got to keep you here, keep you safe. Well, you know, there's been some interesting developments in the in wolf world. Oh, is that right? Tell, yeah, what's going on with the wolves? I know you have not had the best relationship with the wolves lately. Well, in Wolf World, which, by the way, they have after seeing uh, Westworld on HBO, that uh, they did get together and write their own spinoff called Wolf World. Ooh, HBO should option that. Yeah, even with uh, a Tony Tony Hopkins also was actually in it. It was actually quite interesting how they got him. I think they just threatened to eat him. Yeah, strong negotiating leverage for sure. Oh yeah. Anyway, so uh, they invited me for a screening. I was thinking it was some sort of ploy just to eat me, because like they usually do. But uh, no, they just wanted to have uh, show uh, show their 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 work product. They're really proud of it, eh? They 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 let you in as one of the uh, focus group people to check out their show. That's kind of an honor. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was really great. Gave him some notes. Uh, one of the one of the wolf writers didn't like it though. He 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 bit a finger off. So Ooh. you know, there's that. But uh, the rest of them appreciated the constructive criticism, eh? Oh, 
That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty bold of you to even give any construct, you know, any negative criticism considering uh, yeah, your a, relationship with them. Yeah, and there was also uh, a network executive from the CBC was there too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now again, he was kind of tied to a chair. Oh. And uh, I noticed his eyelids had been chewed off, but uh, <laughs> he seemed to uh, enjoy the show in between the intermittent bouts of uh, pain and uh, terror. Yeah. But yeah. But I told him, hey, hey, but don't worry about it. I've managed to survive this whole time. I mean, I'm sure you can. With your eyelids intact, no less. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like like we said now, just missing a finger. Yeah, naturally. Um, well, but gl- anyway, glad to hear things are getting better with the wolves. We hope anyway, that continues. Buddy, yes, I, I heard a recent episode, and uh, I've decided to bring a brand new game here uh, called Delaware Town or Hoser Talk. Oh, God, I knew it. And uh, I've got, I, I consulted with my friend uh, Delaware Dave. Delaware Dave, do you want to say something? Delaware. <laughs> Hi, I'm from Delaware. <laughs> Hi, Delaware, Dave. Um, Hi, Ryan. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, what, what you got? What, what's going on in your world? Well, as you just heard me say, I'm from Delaware. Oh yeah, I, I got that. I gathered that. Uh, is there literally any other interesting fact about yourself that you can share with us to help people get to know you? I drove on I-95 once. Once. One time. Because it goes through Delaware. Did you really drive on I-95 once? No, I just wanted to fit in. <laughs> but like I said, I'm from Delaware. Yes, I got. we got that. We got that Delaware tape. We gathered that. Um, so would you, do you have some Delaware questions for us to try this week? Okay, okay, but buddy, we, we talked about this. We're going to need a lot more energy, eh? Okay? That would be good, yes. You know, they've, they've got like a guy here that's from like Los Angeles. He's a big time Hollywood man. Okay, I got like a guy that literally running on the, the blood of the devil. Okay? Yeah. And uh, maybe some other ones that have been here and there that I can't even remember right now. <laughs> and of course, your friendly neighborhood candidate. Yeah. Right, but I'm from Delaware. No, we we gathered. I think there's nobody listening right now that doesn't know where you're from. I think we've gathered that. Look, it's your fir- it's probably your first time on a podcast. We just you just have to uh, what we just got to get more energy from you. That's all. What's what, what, what's a podcast? That's what you're on right now. It's kind of like a radio show, but with a lot less listeners. I I thought I was on Delaware. <laughs> you're, you're 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 in Florida now. You're not in Delaware anymore. I'm not in Delaware. That's that's correct. You're 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 far from Delaware, actually. Quite quite a long distance. Whoa, whoa. Are you okay, Delaware Dave? It's okay. Um, you're you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get him on a couch here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes Delaware Dave, if he's not in Delaware, becomes like uh, sort of panic Dave. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I mean, should I have not have said where he was? Right. I don't know. I kind of just I, I found this guy online. And the more I'm thinking about it, he's becoming kind of a, a buzzkill. And it, it's a horrible thought I know from your friendly neighborhood kind of Dave, but I'm thinking, boy, this would be a great way to get the wolves off my back for a bit. Oh, no. No, no. Don't don't hurt Delaware Dave. I'm sure with some reps and some practice on the podcast, he's going to be a lot okay. better. Okay, buddy. All right. Anyway, let, let, let's get going. Let's play the game, eh? Let's okay. hear it for Delaware Dave. Okay, Ryan. Yes. Delaware. So uh, can we explain the game first, like for people who are new? Yeah. 
I, I just like the I'm way you explain these. I'm going to give the name of a Delaware town. Uh-huh. Or am I, Ryan? Okay, we got it. All that, right. That's what you wanted. There's that inflection of the second part of that's the sentence That's correct. There. That's exactly why I wanted you to do it. You would just prefer me to do the whole show like this, Ryan. So much. Okay. That would make me so happy. <laughs> okay. So Del- said, okay, Ryan. Okay. The first town. Okay. Delaware. Delaware's name of the town. Yeah. So Delaware, Delaware. Right. God, that would be such a Delaware thing to do. I'm going to say yes, that's a Delaware town. Okay, Ryan, that's wrong. That's uh, Delaware, Ontario. Oh, damn it. <laughs> that's a Canada, damn buddy. It. <laughs> that's a Canada town. <laughs> but yet you're still a hoser. <laughs> you see what I did there? I managed to somehow mix up the universe. It's kind of like James Cameron is doing with Titanic, eh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm 0 for 1. Okay, buddy. Delaware City. Oh, see, now you're okay. You're right. Delaware, Delaware is is just too Delaware. Like that's kind of ridiculous. But I bet there's a Delaware City, Delaware. Yes, that is a Delaware City. It's Delaware Town. Is that your Yeah, final answer. Is it wait, are you saying Delaware City or Delaware Town? No, it's you know, Delaware City. Is what? Is a city in Delaware. Okay, but this is Delaware Town or Hoser Talk. Oh, for God's sake. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, a philosophical level, we can get to that later. But uh, yes, Delaware City is in Delaware. All right, cool. I got one. Okay. All right, Glasgow. Glasgow. Now, I know there's a Glasgow, Scotland, obviously. Well, we, we can either confirm nor deny that because we're not playing Scotland Town or Hoser Dog, eh? God, it's probably going to be next week. Um, although I would like to see Scotland Dave show up and hear what, that what, accent. Wouldn't it just be Scottish Dave, eh? Did I say Scotland, Dave? Yeah, you said Scotland, Dave. Wouldn't it just be Scottish? Well, no, because we didn't say Delawarean, Dave. It's Delaware, Dave. So why wouldn't it be Scotland, Dave? Did, did, did someone call my name? No, 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 Delaware, Dave. We don't need you right now. Because my name is Dave, and I'm, like I said previously, from Delaware. From Delaware, yes, yes, we got it. Thank, thank you, Delaware, Dave. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so... Hey, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yes, Delaware, Dave. Do you want to know what my favorite state quarter was? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I can only guess, but what is it? Well, it was Delaware. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, De- thank you, Delaware, Dave. All because right. Because I, I previously said you're from Delaware. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, oh, oh. Okay. Thank you, thank you, Delaware, Dave. Oh, being played off. Okay. 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 All right, I'm, buddy. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry about this. I'm, I'm starting to think this was a bad idea. I'm so sorry. No, he's, he's gonna get better. We're gonna give him more reps. He's okay. Gonna, okay. He's anyway, where were we with Glasgow? Glasgow. Um. No, because that's a, a city in Scotland, not a Delaware town. Okay, you're saying Hoser Talk. Ryan, there is a Glasgow, Delaware. Oh, damn it. Yep. Damn it. Okay, buddy. I should have known he was going to try to trick me. Okay, New Furnace. New Furnace? New Furnace. That's ridiculous. Um, No, no, that's not a Delaware town. Okay, good job, buddy. All that's right. a Hoser Talk. All right, good on me. Okay. New Furnace. Old Furnace. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, this... All right, I see what you're doing to me here. If new fur, <laughs> um, this is gonna be where you. This is this the one? Is this the one where you get me? Wait, wait. Is this the one that's like a Rush song or a something or a Bare Naked Ladies song? Well, I know it's not a Bare Naked Ladies song because I have the whole Bare Naked Ladies catalog in my head, and there's no there's no song called from Bare Naked Ladies called Old Furnace. There is a song called Old Apartment, but no, not Old Furnace. So is this the one where you're gonna try to? Is this the one where you're gonna hit me with a band song? No, I'm going to say Old Furnace is a Delaware town. 
Boy, that was a fascinating look into your psychosis. <laughs> this game makes me crazy. That's a Delaware town. Yes! Okay. I'm so happy. Okay, buddy. Slaughter Beach. Slaughter Beach. Is this the Rush song or the Bare Naked Lady song or the Yes song or you know one of these other Canada bands? Um, Slaughter Beach. I'm going to say... I'm going to say that's a Delaware town. Ryan, that's a Delaware town. Yeah. Oh, I'm on fire now, man. I know more about Delaware than Delaware Dave, baby. Woo. Oh, yeah? No, no, that wasn't an invitation to bring Delaware Dave back. Oh, God. And what town from Delaware am, am I from? Dover. Oh, that's actually a good answer. <laughs> but I kind of don't know. <laughs> all, I, right. all I was told was that I am from Delaware. Delaware. Thank you. Thank you, Delaware Dave. All right. Uh, he needs to practice. He needs He needs some rest. Okay, Ryan. Roxana. 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 Okay, that... that I don't think that's a Delaware town. Could be a Sting song, eh? Um. <laughs> it's close to being a Sting song, but no, because it's going to mm. be a... It's going to be a... If you're going to hit me with something, it's going to be a Canadian band. And I think this is the band song. I think it's... I think this is the one where you hit me with the Canadian band song. And there is no Bare Naked Ladies song called Roxana. So I think that Roxana is a Rush song. Oh my God, this is the first time you've answered that, Ryan. It is a town in Delaware. No! No! I'm so mad. Okay, Ryan. I thought, no, you, you, you got me so excited. I thought I nailed it that time. Ugh. Okay, Ryan. Finally, Timothy. 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 Okay, is that the Rush song? Ryan, what's your answer? Rush song. No, Ryan, that's a Boy Sets Fire song. They are a post-hardcore punk band from Delaware. <laughs> and amazingly enough, seemingly the only interesting band from Delaware I could find, eh? I was about to say, I wonder what a Delaware punk band sounds like. Actually, I can feel this question. Oh, okay, Delaware Dave. Um, what do you got for us? Okay, so actually I know Boy Sets Fire. Um, you know how I've been talking this whole time? Yeah. Okay, we'll just cut it together and string it together for three minutes. And there you go. That sounds fantastic. They must be such a great band. Right? Your 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 town must your state must be so proud of them. We are, because um we're from Delaware. Yeah, we got that. All right. Delaware. Okay, that was oh. okay. That was that was, that was a bit interesting there, buddy. Yeah. Um well that was kind of an uneven performance by me, but thank you as always. Canna Dave, and thank you for yeah. bringing Delaware Dave here. It was a pleasure as always, and I'm oh, still yeah. terrible at your game. Oh, yeah, of course you are, and uh, this will be an interesting drive up uh, back to Canada with a stop in Delaware. Yeah, I, I yeah, <laughs> trust me. Don't worry. Oh, Even Canna Dave has his limits of politeness and willing to tolerate things, and I think we, we might have hit it. Yeah. <laughs> Our thanks to Suzanne Polinsky, the rock star advocate. Hey, that, by, by oh, the way, oh yeah. yeah, thank you, Suzanne Polinsky. But didn't mean didn't mean to step on Ryan's thanks there, eh? But, <laughs> what do you uh, got? Okay, uh, folks of Puerto Rico, if you want to be annexed by Canada, you know Trudeau's a swell guy. Oh, that they mm. they would be getting treated better, that's for sure. Yeah, true that. <laughs> Remember that was his campaign slogan, Trudeau. True that. That wasn't actually his campaign slogan. Come on, was it really? If it was, it needs to. If it wasn't, it needs to be. All right. Our thanks to Suzanne Polinsky, the rock star advocate. 
Uh, my thanks to you, Dave. Uh-huh. Uh, Thank thanks you. to Canada Dave and Delaware Dave. And, um, oh, Movie Dave and, God, so many Daves. And, uh, yeah, help the people in Puerto Rico, huh? Jesus. Yep. All right. <laughs> and keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.